falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Many years ago, there was an article in the Reader's Digest, and it was about two people, uh, Humberto and Georgina. Humberto and Georgina came to America from Cuba, and they were penniless refugees. They came in 1960. Humberto learned English in Long Island, New York, uh, in the high school. Georgina spent her early years in L.A., Then they met when Georgina was a student at the University of Miami. They married in 1972, and both of them eventually landed as reporters in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, with a a newspaper. uh, It was a profession that rarely, at that time in 1970s, rarely led to a lot of great wealth. Um, But a, a math teacher had taught Humberto the importance of compound interest. And so early in the couple's marriage, they decided to to save every possible dollar they could. Their formula was simple. They bought only compact cars. Um, They paid their credit card bills in full every month. They they shopped at discount stores. They clipped uh, coupons. They took sack lunches to work, which most people don't know what those are anymore. And some years... They saved 66% of their annual income. They put it away. In 1987, they began investing about $1,250 a month in different uh, diversified accounts. And within eight years, all right, and remember this is the 80s and 90s, all right, within uh, eight years, they reached millionaire status, which at that time meant you probably were a millionaire, okay? Um, Eventually, they were making more from their investments than their salaries. Now, storing up treasures like that seems like those are great stories. I remember reading it and thinking, wow, that's a neat story. But sometimes we forget the magnificent God we serve. We're here, uh, sometimes we, we come in and uh, we say, well, that, that's neat, and the world, and this has happened with these guys. And uh, you read about guys that were successful, and they work really hard. But God is able to do amazing things. Amen. And you'll notice that's what our text verse and Jude and verse 24 says, Now unto him that is able. And we sang a song. You know, I was sitting there, and when you turn to that song... Uh, and a lot of times I take time, uh, well, all the time, I, I take time to pray, and I called your pastor ahead of time and asked him, and I said, you know, what are, what are some things that maybe the church is going through in some ways that I can just pray and ask God to lead and guide? And God led for this message, and you sang a song, He is able to deliver thee. He's able. And so this evening, I want to consider whether our God is able. Is our God able? And we'll uh, consider that thought. We'll do a a little bit of a a word study at the beginning to understand that word able. And then we'll look at a couple of ways that God is able to help us in our lives. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless this evening. Give us wisdom, guidance as we go through your word. I pray that you would, Lord, uh, give us that sustaining grace to take the precious Preserve word of God 
and impart it to your people that have gathered this evening. Lord, we always ask you to do that which I cannot do, and that is speak to hearts. We ask and claim your power in Jesus' name. Amen. So the word able is found about 160 times throughout Scripture. Just the word able. A couple of the times, I think, that are interesting. One is found in 1 Samuel. You can turn there if you want, but in 1 Samuel chapter 6. So this is an interesting story because the Philistines had taken the Ark of God. They had stolen it. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 19, it says, And he smote the men of Bethshemesh, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord, even he smote of the people, listen, 50,000 and threescore and ten men. Now just so you know, that's a lot of people. All right, that's a lot of people. And the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. Notice what they say in verse 20. And the men of Bethshemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall he go up from us? So here... These people, uh, they'd taken the Ark of the Covenant, and it was, it was a sacred thing. And um, they kind of looked at it as if you, if you study a little bit about the Philistines and other religions, and even now, uh, they looked at it more of a mystical thing. Uh, and for, for God, it wasn't that. It wasn't a mystery. It wasn't a mystical thing. But uh, he punished them. He did punish them. And then they look at it and say, who, who can stand before this? Who is able to do this? So it's interesting, that interesting text. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 17, I thought this one was interesting because, again, it's, a, it's a kind of a negative side. So this is King, or not King, it's King Saul, but it's David, young David, coming. And there's a giant, and he's calling out the Israelites and so he comes, David comes before King Saul, and in verse 33, well, 32, it says this, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to stand against this Philistine. And I think as I was studying the word, I went through almost all 160 passages just with that word and trying to understand it and see how it was used through Scripture. And there's positive and negatives. And there's a lot of times that the world looks at us and they say, you know what? You're God and you're not able to do this thing. And we have to come to the place in our life where we understand you know what? You're right. I'm not able. But don't ever say that our God is not able. Our God is able to do a lot of things. And we're going to look at that. That word able um, comes from a word. So word studies um, in, in the Bible, you have original language, Hebrew and Greek. And it's not saying that we have to know those, but you can go to a dictionary, even in English, I love doing word studies. So in English, that's called etymology, where you go and you, you take and you find the origin of a word and then you break it down. You can go to different countries and see where that word came from. Well, in this word, able, it comes from a word, uh, dunamai. Right? Dunamai, you can almost hear what the word is. It's, we get a word dynamite from it. 
All right, it's power. Uh, and you, you see that a couple of times in the New Testament. So in John chapter 10, I, I love this uh, passage. So in John chapter 10, this word is found in John chapter 10 and verse 29. It says, my father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. It's giving that idea of might, of power. Now, we know in today's day and age, uh, there may be something that is a little more powerful than dynamite, okay? Uh, but you think over the course of history, there wasn't a lot of things that was more powerful than dynamite. It was able to move things that couldn't be moved. And that is the idea that comes behind this word when we're talking about our God. God is able to do things and move things that we think aren't possible. God is able. And so is our God able and have you found him to be able. So I want to look at four areas that God is able to work in our lives. Now the first one, uh, let's go to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. And here in Daniel chapter 6, you'll see one of the times that is used. So Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. And in verse 18, it says, Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? The first thing that I see as far as my God, my God is able to defeat my enemies. Amen. He's able to defeat my enemies. Here in this text, in Daniel chapter 6, he was able to deliver him from the den of lions. You know, there are some times that you're going to walk into a very feisty or a, you might say a den of lions. That could be in a work situation. There are some times that there are folks uh, the devil and his minions, all right, his demons, uh, they, are not, they are not a friend to saints. All right? they're, not a, they're, not, uh, they're not on our side. They're always trying to remember what uh, one of the names of the devil is the accuser of the brethren. What he is there to do often is to accuse us or to get others to accuse a Christian. Uh, to bring him down. He's there to cause discouragement. And sometimes you walk into a den of lions. But it doesn't mean that we can't be delivered. Right. We can be delivered from a den of lions. We can, be, um, we can uh, see God do miraculous things. I've seen that happen in my own life. I've had uh, pastors, friends. I've had uh, church members. I've had uh, folks that I've known that were Christians that they were in very horrible situations that you would call a den of lions, and God delivered them. It seemed impossible, but God delivers. He's able to defeat my enemy. So one of them is from the den of lions. Another one is from the deceiver's trap. Now, where do we find that? 
1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. It says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So God is able... <laughs> All right, we're, we're back again. All right, so from the deceiver, deceiver's trap. So 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Um, sometimes people say, well, you know what? God didn't provide a way of escape. Yes, he does. What you may have done is gone past it. God always provides a way of escape. You may, you may have been so engrossed in committing the sin that you ignored God's escape. He is able to deliver us from the deceiver's trap. And you'll notice God specifically addresses that even in that verse when he says God is faithful. God is faithful. He will help us and make a way to escape. He is wise and faithful. He knows what we can bear. He will make a way to escape. He'll deliver either from the trial itself or he'll go through it with us. And he, and he does go through it, but there is something, there are some times that uh, God helps you avoid the trial, but there are some times you have to go through it, but God's there with you. Yeah. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. Yeah. So the first thing we see is he's able to defeat my enemies. But then, if you turn to John chapter 21, and I think this is an illustration of our second idea of God being able. So first of all, we see that God is able to defeat my enemies. But in John chapter 21, look at verses 1 through 6. This is a story after the resurrection. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the, on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude 
of fishes. So here is a passage that is an example of how God is able. So God is able to defeat my enemies, but God is able to supply my needs. You'll see in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8, this is one of my favorite verses that uses this word. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. You notice that there's a, there's a whole lot of alls in that passage. He says, I'm going to, uh, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, just in case you were wondering about it, he says, I have enough grace for you. And sometimes uh, we don't know that understanding of grace. And so I, I believe that there's the three different types of grace. There's saving grace, there is sanctifying grace, and there's sustaining grace. And grace is an enabling to do something that you can't do. So in saving faith, why do I need saving faith? Because I can't save myself. So I, God gives me grace that enables me to be saved. So in sustaining grace, what's sustaining grace? Well, God, and, and it's a prayer. You notice that I prayed for that when I prayed at my opening prayer. I pray often for sustaining grace. So what is that type of grace? So when we're going to do something that is really, it seems beyond what we can do. I need God's sustaining grace. It's an enabling to do something I can't do. So as you go out sowing, yeah. is that hard? Yes. Sometimes it seems like it's just uh, as, as long as I've been in the ministry, there's still something about going up to somebody and talking to, to them. And part of it is, what are you telling them? You're going up and telling them that, I'm not saying in these exact words, but you're basically telling them they're a wicked sinner and going to hell. That's, that's not really a nice message. You're like, so there is some fear and trembling. And I'm trying to have wisdom as I'm going to talk to this person. And I'm asking God for what? Sustaining grace to help me to do that which, man, I sometimes don't seem to have the ability to do. But God is able to make all grace abound. So that's sustaining grace. So where else do we need sustaining grace? In trials. In temptations and trials and tribulations. Oh, there, are, there are hard things that we go through. It's one, of the, it's one of the blights, I would say, in Christianity across the world. It's not just in America, but it's across the world. And we would call it the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel has come in and said that basically, if you're, if you're right with God, everything is happy. So, but there is something that happens. It happens in my heart, and it happens in yours. As soon as something bad happens to me, you know what I start thinking? What did I do wrong? Now, there's, there's a right way to approach it. I should be asking, God, you know what? This, is there chastisement? Do I, need to, do I need to get some sin out of my life? But you know what? Trials happen to us. When you read Scripture, you know what you'll find right away? Bad things happened. Right. Right. 
You come, if you just start reading through scripture right in Genesis, you start seeing the life of Joseph. And you're like, wow. I was, I was discouraged um, uh, just a few months ago, and I was reading through Scripture, and I got to Joseph's life, and all of a sudden, I didn't feel so bad. Because I started doing some numbers, and I realized that it was 13 years after, when he was thrown into the pit, it was 13 years before he stood before Pharaoh. And I was like, all right, it hasn't been that long for me. And it was 20-something years before he saw his brothers again. That's a long time. I was like, all right, God, I, I guess Joseph won. <laughs> all right, I, I haven't had it that hard. But you know what Joseph needed? Sustaining grace. Amen. So we need sustaining grace, and God is willing. He's able to supply our needs. I think sometimes we, we think that God doesn't have enough. You know, we think that, well, I don't, I don't know. The devil comes and says that. That he doesn't care about us or, he, you know, maybe he's really busy. You know, he's got a lot of people in this world to take care of. And plus he's building heaven, you know, mansions and all that. And maybe, maybe it just was overwhelming and he forgot. God's not like us. He doesn't forget about us. He's, he's, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. And that's our God. And his... And his resources are limitless. I mean, if he ran out, he could just speak it. And there's more. That's how big our God is. And I think sometimes we forget that. And, and, we, uh, and the devil comes and, and whispers to us because, you know, there is something about God that he does want us to live a life of faith. And that isn't found in Scripture. Remember that we live by faith and not by sight. I have a pastor friend that reminds me of that often. And he tells me that even uh, I can remember when I was pastoring and we would get together and he'd say, Hey, hey, remember, Steve, he goes, a church is always a place of faith. Remember that. Because, you know, I want to have everything set. I want to have this fun set. And there's nothing wrong with planning. But Christians live a life of faith. Amen. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And sometimes God will bring us to a place that I'm like, all right, God, I don't see this working. It doesn't seem to fit on paper. It doesn't seem to work on paper. It doesn't seem to make sense. God's like, no, I got it. Amen. I got this. Yeah. Why? Because he can supply all of our needs. So what is basically the enemy of what we're talking about as far as God supplying our needs? You'll find it in Scripture. It's worry and fretting. You know, in the, in the book of Psalms, you'll see that the psalmist every once in a while will start fretting. And you'd say, fret not thyself. And sometimes we start worrying and we start looking away from God. You know, it's the, the great example would be the Apostle Peter. Remember Peter, when he's there and he sees um, Christ walking in the midst of a storm, and he's like, man, this is awesome. Can I jump out and walk on water? And he does. And a lot of times we, we knock Peter because, like, man, he's so impulsive and all that, but it really, I haven't walked on water yet. Okay? <laughs> Peter, he's got that. 
All right, so he's walked on water, but what do we know about the story? He took his eyes off Christ. And we many times, because of the circumstances around us, because of what people are saying, we take our eyes off of God and the circumstances or the world or this friend or these, these, these things around us, the environment says it's impossible, but not with God. Yes. We serve an amazing God that is able. So what do we see? We see that God is able. He's able to defeat my enemies. He's able to supply my needs. But then let's go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to read a couple of passages in the book of Hebrews. So we'll start in chapter 2. Look at verse 18. Uh, we'll start with verse 17. So in verse 17, it's, it's introducing Jesus Christ as a priest, a high priest. And notice what it says in verse 17. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful, what is he, high priest, and things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So we see that Christ, and, and that's a great debate in theology. The great the, uh, debate in theology is, could Christ sin? You know, which I don't know. Maybe when we get to heaven, we can sit and ask, all right, but he didn't. All right, so you can debate it all you want. He didn't, okay? He didn't sin. So, and we know that because Christ said, he, uh, or the word of God says he did no sin. All right, so, but he was tempted. And I don't think the temptation was just in Matthew chapter 4 when he was out in the wilderness. There was temptation all along when he was here on this earth. I even think there was temptation at the garden. Mm -hmm. And there was a temptation. Why, Why do we know that? Because he even said to God, if it be possible, let this cup pass. And I don't know that it was that he wanted to get out of something. But I think he could see on the horizon that this was horrific, what was coming. But what did he do? He surrendered to the will of his Father, showing us that when we surrender to the will of the Father, God enables us to bear what is coming. He was here on this earth showing us that he went through things. And that's what this passage says. And that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor. And that idea is to come alongside He has sympathy. So what is he able to do? Defeat my enemies, supply my needs. He's able to sympathize with my cares. There's a couple other passages in the book of Hebrews that tell us. Look at um, chapter 4 and verse 14, starting in verse 14. Notice what it says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed in the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, now here's that phrase, yet without sin, 
let us therefore come boldly, notice, unto the throne. What's it called? A throne of grace. So it's a throne of power. Remember, grace is an enabling power. So Christ sits on a throne that has enabling power that we may obtain mercy. Mercy is, is, is a granting to somebody that doesn't deserve it. So we don't deserve to come to this throne of power, but because of Christ, we can come and we can find grace to help in time of need. See, the book of Hebrews is written to us to encourage us that we have a great high priest, a Savior that is better. And it goes through a whole bunch of reasons that he's better. But notice then in chapter 7 and verse 25. Here is our word again. Wherefore, in chapter 7, verse 25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You see what Christ is doing for us forever. It says he ever liveth to make intercession for us. See, we have an ally that sometimes we forget about. Christ knows. You know, I, in in pastoring, one of the things you're trying to do is to come and offer help sometimes to people that go through really hard times. And I read a multitude of books because you feel sometimes helpless. And you know... What I learned is there's some things not to say. You know, you come in and, hey, I'm there for you or I've been there. No, you haven't. I've never. So just so you know, individually, you have never gone through exactly what that person has gone through. You really haven't. So you can't say it. Now, it could be similar. (laughs) And that's what Corinthians, the book of Corinthians says that sometimes you go through trials so that you can come alongside somebody. But I've learned that some phrases are just trite. But what I learned is that sometimes, I remember one time sitting in a hospital emergency room for about four hours. I had a lot to do. A lot of things that were, but that person just needed somebody sitting there with them to talk to them. And sometimes we didn't even really say much, but it was somebody there. Somebody there. But you know, Christ is there. He never leaves us, nor forsakes us. And I think we forget that. We forget that Christ is that presence that can be there. It's interesting in my study, there's a, a, you know, I've always loved studying Scripture. I've loved studying Scripture. It started when I had a high school teacher that uh, I was away from the Lord, and he got me in my study hall to start looking at Scripture. I remember he gave me my first concordance. And he started a love for the Word of God that has never stopped. And to me, in the the work that I'm in now, my job is to help people study the Bible. 
It's a lot of fun. And I love studying theology. And last fall, I, I've taken the last couple years to do a really strong study in what we would call pneumatology and uh, theology. Pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. And I'm actually uh, trying to work on a book on the Holy Spirit and finishing it up. And as I studied it, what was interesting is there's a lot of phrases like um, the, the book of Ephesians is where we learn a lot about the Holy Spirit and Colossians. But Ephesians and Colossians talk all about Christ. What I realized is they're kind of weaved together. In Christ and the Holy Spirit, it's we, so we're supposed to abide. For, for instance, if you want to study the Holy Spirit, you study John 14, 15, and 16, and you just study them. And I have read those probably hundreds of times, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, just trying to think about it. But guess what John 15 tells you to do? Abide in Christ. Well, like, wait a minute, I thought it was the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit and Christ, they're one. They're one. So which one? Well, you know what? If you abide in Christ, the Holy Spirit's going to be there. And that's what I find in Scripture. It's it's a, a weaving together of an understanding of how God wants to help us. He wants to empower us. He wants to sympathize with us. He wants to take care of us. And so, yes, the the Savior is there, Christ is there interceding, but what you find in Romans chapter 8 is the Holy Spirit is there also interceding. And sometimes I don't know what to pray, and the Holy Spirit is there helping me pray. Amen. See, it's all weaving into one. So he's able to defeat my enemies, he's able to supply my needs, he's able to sympathize with my cares. But then the passage we read at the beginning was Ephesians, or for our scripture reading, Ephesians chapter 3. And we started in verse 16. But notice what Paul says in verse 16. He wants us to be strengthened by, notice, we're strengthened with a might by his spirit in the inner man. So notice, remember I say they weave so what is he telling us? That I want, I want the Spirit to strengthen your inner man, but look at verse 17. But I want Christ to dwell in your heart. Oh, wait a minute. Which, All right, but again, you see him weaving together. But then notice in verse 18 that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God Notice in verse 20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So that word power is also that idea of dunamis. It's, it's dynamite. And here, and it's found all through this passage in Ephesians. Ephesians 3, 7, it's found there, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. And Ephesians chapter 1, you see that. No, God is able not only to defeat my enemies and supply my needs and sympathize with my cares, but he's able to empower my life. And I think as I've studied 
um, last fall, I taught uh, 10 hour and a half lectures just on the Holy Spirit itself. I really studied it and studied it and studied it. And I think in some ways we became scared of the word Holy Spirit. You almost have to, you know, the the care you, and in the Springfield area, area you gotta you gotta say it right. Holy Ghost, right? Holy Ghost, all right. But but we want to. I call it. I always have nicknames, so I call it the spookification of the spirit. It's like ooh, because we we in religion we love mystery. But you know, as you study Scripture, you know what the the Holy Spirit. When I was saved, He came in, and He wants to help me. And every day there's instructions to me so that the Holy Spirit is enabled. Every day. That's why Paul said, I die not like yearly. (laughs) I die daily. Why is he doing that? Because in Ephesians and Colossians, the inner man, the new man is there. And so I have to put on the new man and put off the old man. And the new man is that Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, and he's there. But if you read Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, it's a yielding to him. So there's sometimes that the Holy Spirit, as I yield to him, he says, hey, stop saying that. Well, I don't want to. You know what you're doing then? You're resisting him. I'm stopping his work. See, a lot of times, it doesn't have to be super complicated. But the Holy Spirit, he wants to help us. He's a helper. And, and you find that in, in Scripture. In fact, the word, one of the words for Holy Spirit, you find it in John 15 a lot. And 16 is the word comforter. So when I was in Bible college, um, we had one class that was called Biblical Studies. And they had a little section of it, of the Biblical Studies, that was Greek class. And so um, we had to learn definitions. And so the word comforter is, I will never forget it because I was a soccer player. And I remember the teacher saying, hey, you'll never forget it. If you remember this, the word comforter is a paraclete. So the word comforter is paraclete. So I never, I automatically, when I hear comforter, I see two two, uh, cleats. All right, there, and they're kicking a soccer ball. All right, so it's a paraclete. So what is a paraclete? It's somebody that was called alongside. Now some, again, I like studying the background of words. So when was um, John, and then you also see the idea in the book of Romans. So when was that written? It was during, written during the Roman era. So they say in Roman history that there was soldiers, and soldiers would have a partner, and that partner would be a fighting buddy. And guess what that fighting buddy was called? A paraclete. He would fight back to back with you. And when I learned that, and I thought, wow, I have a fighting partner that is God. It's God. And he's there to fight with me. 
And I think sometimes, that's why uh, we don't have to spookify. This is reality. When I'm saved, the Holy Spirit, what? Know you not? You're not your own? You're bought with the price? You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. He's in you. This is what he wants to do. And you'll see in that text in Ephesians chapter 3, I think when you break it down, you see how much God wants to do. What does it tell us that he wants us to do? He says in verse 20, I want to do, I'm able to do all. But is that what he says? No. He says, I'm able to do above all. But is that what it says? No. He says, I'm able to do abundantly above all. But he still didn't stop there. He said, I'm able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all. Do you realize that's our God? Amen. That's the God we serve. And that's the challenge that I leave with you as a church. Make, let God show you that he is above all. I love passages in the Old Testament that say that. There are verses in the Old Testament that says he is a God above all gods. There's nobody like our God. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask. Did you notice what else? Or think. There's sometimes a weird thought comes in my mind about what I love God to do. And God's like, yeah, I can do above that. And not just above it, exceedingly, abundantly above that. That's our God. Let's close with one last passage. It's found in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. This is the story of Abraham. And starting in verse 18, remember Abraham was asked to basically start a great nation and at a hundred years old there was no great nation (laughs) and and yet abraham was told that you're going to have a you're going to have a great nation and then he has a son and then god says hey would you would you go kill him it just doesn't sound like the start of a great nation you know what i mean um you're old already you don't have a lot of kids and then the one son you do you got to kill him but notice in Romans four eighteen, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. But notice in verse 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Do you serve a God that can? He's the God that walked with the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, and he rescued them out of 
Nebuchadnezzar's evil hands. He's the God of Daniel who quieted the mouth of lions, was able to deliver him from their grasp. He's the God of Moses who parted the Red Sea and drowned the Egyptian army that pursued God's people. He's the God of David that guided the single stone from David's slingshot to Goliath's head. The God that raised Jesus from the dead and defeated death, hell, and the grave on that Easter Sunday morning that's coming up. He's a God that is greater than my understanding, my ability. And I try to explain who he is and what he is and what he can do. But he's above all that. Our God is able. Let's have head bowed, eyes closed. And this evening, we just have a time of invitation. And would it be that maybe in your life, God is challenging you in some area saying, maybe God's pushing you. It could be in some area within the church. It could be some area of work or soul winning or witnessing or giving. Maybe God's pushing you, challenge you in some area of faith. Remember, God challenged Abraham and it didn't always seem like it made sense. I, I've been there. I can tell you that. But God is able. Now, we're, God's not going to ask you to go against Scripture. That's when we're wrong. We know we're wrong. There are things that balance us, that help us. You know, when it's asking you to go outside of scriptural things, then you know that that's not God. That's not God asking you to do it. But there are sometimes God pushes us. Will you find and will you trust that God is able? Maybe God dealt with you in some area this evening and you need to pray and ask God and say, Hey, God, help me. Help me to trust you. Help Help me to have that faith to move beyond. You know, God is able. God is able. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless our time of invitation. I pray that we would realize that our God is a mighty God. Lord, you ask us sometimes to do some things that, Lord, they're sometimes they're tough. Lord, it could be even in the area of soul winning. Sometimes you, you push us and you're asking us to, to go and, and to be bold. And Lord, we don't want to do it. I pray that you would help us to understand that your grace, you will give us that grace. You'll give us sufficiency in all things. Pray that we would find that you're able. Bless the invitation time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Standing with heads bowed, eyes closed. If God dealt with your heart, this evening and you need to pray at your seat you need to pray down front would you come do that ask God to meet with us help us to find that God is able as the piano plays come
And that song, Only Trust Him, 291. Let's sing that first verse. Sing that first verse. We'll close with this tonight. 291. Are you there? Let's sing that first verse here. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. He will surely by trusting in his word only trust him only trust him only trust him now he will save you he will save you he will save Brother Davidson, would you close us in prayer tonight?